Hello and welcome to episode two of the Subwave Network podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Lou. And today we begin our first season, our season of firsts. And we are going to start with the first doctor himself, William Hartnell, taking you back to the 23rd of November, 1963, 16 minutes past five, brand new show on the TV called Doctor Who. Just imagine that. Cast your mind back. Imagine you're sitting there about to watch this brand new show. Lou, what did you think? Well, if we're looking at it from a first-time viewer's perspective, I really enjoyed it, especially the first episode. And I like how they set it up in the way that you didn't get to meet the Doctor until the 12-minute mark, because that got you time to build the suspense along with the companions, aside from Susan, who obviously knew the Doctor. It gave us a chance to just relive how they felt as the characters in the moment of, like, Who's this man? Um, why is she going to a junkyard? Why is there a police box? And um, why is there a grumpy old man here? Why is he shouting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the show has always been framed as we we look at it through the eyes of the companion. You know, it's the same thing that Russell T. Davis did with Rose when he brought the show back in two thousand and five. You you meet Rose and you spend a lot of time with her in the first few minutes before you meet the Doctor. And you get the same thing here. It is. It's it's twelve minutes. It's halfway through episode one before we even see our doctor, and he's not likable at all, especially in episode one. He shows a bit of likability in some of his little like quirk moments, where he's like, "Don't quote me on it," but he was just like, "Oh, fine, you can leave." It's like, "Oh my god, I relate." Like, <laughs> and but like if. If we're going off like his likability across each episode that we see him in in the unearthly child set, he he's not he's not one of the warmest doctors we've seen. He's he's not, and that does give room for his character to grow. Um, as we do see, you know, he does he, he does start to warm, if ever so slightly. In in episode two, we see him apologising to to the rest of of the TARDIS team for getting themselves stuck in this cave surrounded by people that essentially uh, are saying uh, make fire or we will kill you and so, you know. the fire maker gets her so i mean genius um character naming the, the the there are only two we meet two females other than the two we already know one is simply called Old Woman, and the other is called Her, H-U-R. <laughs> I-, I love it, because like you can just be like, oh, look, it's Her, and then everyone's like, what's her name? And it's like, it's Her. It's, it's Her. That I-, I feel like we're about to be in an Albert and Costello sketch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but you do, you know, you, you get to see this. It's, it's, it's a very basic story. You know, we spend episode one which which is almost its own thing entirely is 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 about meeting ian and barbara and we get to learn a bit about them and then we're introduced to susan and then finally the doctor and that that almost in my mind exists on its own thing when people have asked me like would you show this to people who you know are new to the show or new to classic doctor who and i would always say like episode one yes i definitely think you should watch because as i'm watching it i just keep going this is iconic and now this is iconic and this is iconic i mean 
the round things. What are the round things? I have no idea. <laughs> Love the round things, though. Yes. That's, like, the only reason why you should watch the first episode. The round <laughs> things. <laughs> there is, you know, everything from, like, the, 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 the opening titles and the music, which the opening music, I didn't even realise. Like, I have seen this episode before, but I didn't realise quite how long it plays. That opening music keeps playing for, like, the, a good couple of minutes until... Like the tar- the hum of the TARDIS takes over it. Mm-hmm. It's you know you you get a sense of this and you see the TARDIS and I look and I think it's iconic and yes, I basically when I was watching this episode every like two minutes I would just look at my notes for it and write down the word iconic again. <laughs> Even to the extent of um, Susan naming the TARDIS, which in my mind is iconic, but then I go. But hang on, what about when they have stories that technically predate Susan and the Doctor and all the Time Lords still just call them TARDISes? Hmm. Um, that's, um... That's a plot wobbly. Timey-wimey. Spacey-wacey. Humany-woomany. I don't know. All the good ones were taken. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I did... I found something interesting. When I was watching this, I had a thought which was very different to like I'd never had this thought before when I I've I've seen this story two or three times probably and I'd never really had this thought before the power struggle that we see between Zar and Carl in the in the you know the the cavemen arc reflects what we were what we're seeing between the doctor and Ian yeah I wrote that down in my notes actually I, I'd never looked at it that way and then suddenly I'm watching and I'm going it really is it's it, it it's just it's just two different power struggles and it's the way that the uncivilized approach it versus the way that the, the, the civilized approach it although you know we do also see the doctor at his darkest where he is about to kill someone I thought the doctor does not kill but alas that that plot point went straight up. Yeah, well, you know, if if you look at the new show, the Doctor doesn't um, carry carry guns, but um, spoiler alert, he does. Also, in this episode, technically, it's a rock, I believe. It's a sharp rock that he was going to use. Yes. So you know, if if that's a if that's a loophole in his um, moral code, or perhaps it's just a way of showing that the Doctor does progress and grow throughout not just one incarnation but all of their incarnations i i like that one i like the idea of it being like as they regenerate they learn they change yes and and to quote david tennant and another man saunters away or 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 indeed woman as we now have the wonderful jodie whittaker yeah and even as we carry on through the story like Episode two, I wrote iconic again. We get the first instance of the comedian circuit breaking. Yes. As it is stuck with this, guess what? Iconic police box. Yeah. And just that the shot at the, the, the cliffhanger of episode one with the TARDIS sat there in the ground and you just see the silhouette of the caveman watching it. And like I can picture that when I think of 
of this story, I I see that image almost above anything else. It just like for for that to be one of the first things that they had done for this show, and the fact that like you could show that image to anyone and they know what that's from. Yeah, you, you know you know that's a Doctor Who image. The the tar- the Tardis resonates so strongly. It it is really the only visual constant is the outside of the TARDIS. Yeah. You know, the everything else about the show changes and that's was brilliant thinking to be able to embed it in the mythology of the show. The fact that you can have a rotating cast of characters and yet technically it's always the same doctor. Just different bodies. Just different bodies. All of the, to, to quote either RTD or Moffat, I think it was, like all of the cells of his body reorganise themselves in a different order. That might even be a, a, a classic quote. It's just, it's remarkable to think that a show would think of something like that. It's how I like to explain it to new people watching the show when they ask me, oh, what's a regeneration process? I like to explain it as it's same person so it's like the same brain it's just the cells have reorganized themselves and i think that's a wonderful way to explain regeneration to people yeah so so same body different face as um as i think billy piper says in the day of the doctor uh, same software different case although i i have issues with the mythology of the sonic screwdriver but I'll, i'll leave them for a later episode given that we do not have a sonic screwdriver in this episode in fact in the entirety of the first doctor's era the first doctor did not carry a sonic screwdriver we don't see that until the second doctor yeah and it's just you know the there's 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 quotes in this episode not just tardis i made up the name from the initials time and relative dimension in space we get the doctor saying the line fear makes companions of us all I love Which that line. Stephen Moffat famously misquotes with uh, Clara in Listen, where she tells that line to the Doctor, Fear makes companions of all of us, I believe. I, th- I may be misremembering this, but I believe that uh, Stephen Moffat once said in an interview that he always remembered the quote wrong, and so that's why he wanted to put his version of the line in there. I might be, you know, slightly misremembering some of the details, but that is, that that that's what it was in my head, and I just, you know, I love that that's a line from 1963, which we then saw in an episode from, I can't remember exactly what year Listen was. I want to say sort of 2017, maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd say 2017. So something Wait, like no, that. No, it's it'd be 2016. Or 2015, 2016, because there was yes, yeah, season. yeah, that, 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 yes, that, that is, that's, that's uh, definitely closer. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, we're gonna get like stomped by some mega. <laughs> yeah, tr- tr- trust, trust, trust me, listeners. We, we, we do know our stuff, even if I can't exactly remember what year. Listen, happened. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I I I apologize before before the lynch mobs um start. Um <laughs> but anyway, you know, our heroes get out of this story by the end of it by faking their own deaths. Which I think was genius. <laughs> it was it's pure genius to use 
the fire which had been the whole you know MacGuffin of the story of you know who will create fire um, I did at one point write how many times can the, the script writers include make fire in this story there is a line which I won't quote sort of um, not fully so it was between Zara and Old Woman um, so Zara was talking about how his father made fire and Old Woman goes they killed him for it and I think that's such a good metaphor because, like, they wanted them to make fire. Like, the Team TARDIS, they wanted them to make fire. Yeah. So they faked their own death by say, like by showing, like, hey, we got killed for the power to make fire. Like, don't don't go overboard. Yes, it's it's all it's all power struggles there. You know, they don't have a... Their, their vocabulary is very limited. I remember the line of, um, he is called friend. <laughs> And then he's just called friend for the rest. <laughs> and then uh, yes, and then Ian is called friend for the rest of the episode. I am friend. Oh, I, I love it. <sighs> yes, S- uh, script of course written mainly by Anthony Coburn. Yes, I did do my research for this episode. Uh, this was actually his only uh, story for Doctor Who. He did have a couple of other early scripts which didn't end up getting made. Um, directed obviously by Waris Hussein uh, to show that he has been controlling Doctor Who from the beginning. Uh, if you get that reference, then you recently watched Adventure in Space and Time, as did I. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another writer on it, uh, C.E. Weber. Yes, yes, involved in, in some of the early drafts. Um, shout outs. I believe. Shout outs. Yes, shout outs. And of course, if we are doing shout outs for the creation of this story, um, just want to take a moment and say thank you, Sydney Newman. Thank you, Verity Lambert. Genius is amazing. This show would not exist without the ideas of Sydney Newman and the vision of Verity Lambert. I mean, without the whole crew, to be honest, like. Yes, that's like the special sounds, the special effects people, like without that. Radiophonic workshop, Delia Derbyshire, Ron Grainer, the everything that you know has been. Even the way that you look at Murray Gold's theme music or Sagan Akinola's theme music, that you know they are they are taking their cues from the original. No, no one has ever changed the theme significantly from the original. It's still there are things that were created back in 1963 that like you do not touch yeah it's you know it's 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 quite brilliant and then if i can touch very briefly on what happens after this because obviously this is a discussion of the first doctor you don't see a ton about the first doctor in this Next episode we get is the Daleks. Is the episode that if an unearthly child introduces you to the world of Doctor Who, then the Daleks made it a success. Yes. You had Dalek mania, you had, you know, which led to the Peter Cushing Dalek movies. This was, you know, this rivalry, which is now still existing, we're going to see Daleks in our upcoming festive special at the end of this year like the doctor and the daleks it begins in story number two and it goes all the way through to to present day show yeah which i love that the daleks are still a constant no matter what change they go through because it's kind of a reminder like 
they've been there as long as the show's been there. Like exactly, and even even when people have slightly changed designs of Daleks. Obviously, Stephen Moffat had the less successful um, New Paradigm Daleks, but the, the 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 Dalek design is a thing like the TARDIS design, which has has only changed in minuscule amounts through the entire history of the show. Yeah, that's quite. And I'm sure that at some point we will talk for far too long about the Daleks on this podcast. Um, now, have you? Is this your the only William Hartnell story that you've seen, or have you no, seen any others? I've actually seen. Um, let me just check what the episode was called, so I don't get curb stomped. Um, I have seen the next episode from the, the Daleks, Daleks, and I've seen the Edge of Destruction. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I've seen when I was looking at what episodes I've seen, I realised. I've seen about half of um, season one and then so I've seen Unearthly Child obviously I've seen the Daleks and the Edge of Destruction and I saw the Aztecs the Aztecs was actually my first uh, first Doctor story which was shown by the uh, t- the TV channel Watch yeah. back in 2013 the 50th anniversary year they showed one story from each Doctor's time and the Aztecs was the first Doctor story they chose so that was my introduction to the first Doctor and it's a brilliant one because you still have Susan and Barbara and Ian, which like in my head is, is the iconic for every doctor has like their iconic companion group. And I do see this original four as an iconic group and also showing, I know you had more time in the classic series to tell stories, but you can make three companions work. (laughs) If everyone points to like the fifth doctor's era for three companions, but, it was there at the very beginning. Yeah, and also if we talk new who like Jodie Whittaker's season with the three companions, there's there's the dynamic of having multiple companions is there. It's just I liked how they handled it with Hartnell seasons. Yes. Like, yeah, and uh, aside from those season one episodes, the only other first Doctor footage that I personally have seen to date. Is his regeneration in the tenth planet? Okay, both I've seen that. The, both the original clip that was put on YouTube by uh, the official Doctor Who YouTube channel, which now in my head I can just hear. Remember to please subscribe to the official Doctor Who YouTube channel. <laughs> said 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 by every Doctor, but in my head I'm picturing Peter oh Capaldi God, saying it. <laughs> yeah, in, in in my head it is just Peter Capaldi sitting in that chair with a with a lovely uh, shirt and jacket on, um, yeah, <laughs> saying that phrase. <laughs> and then obviously I've now I've seen the recreation of it by David Bradley for Twice Upon a Time, which I thought was brilliant. The way that the way that they were able to merge that, and also just you think the first Doctor was the was the only one until you know. If you don't include big finish, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. the first Doctor is the only one that has been recast and played by another actor. Yeah. You know, having now been played by Richard Herndall in the Five Doctors and David Bradley in Twice Upon a Time. Yeah. And it just showed how important the first Doctor is, because if you think of when the Five Doctors was made, 
obviously Tom Baker famously didn't want to take part in it because it had been he'd only just left the show and so they wrote it around the fourth doctor being the one trapped and so doesn't feature in the story but the first doctor was too important to not include so they had to that you know they they made the decision to recast and to bring in Richard Herndall and it's quite funny cuz for a lot of people their first introduction to the first doctor is probably Richard Herndall yeah there's you know the amount of classic and new fans that would have seen the five doctors before they saw anything from the first doctor's era obviously because a lot of the first doctor's era doesn't exist anymore or at least in its original yeah. form it's it's such a shame that the you know this this show that now now since people going through telesnaps and uh, the like reconstructions and the animated reconstructions and it's just it really is a testament to how much people care about this era yeah that that they you know you want to see this in any form possible and you know i really do think it is a testament to 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 william hartnell and his performance i'm glad that there is now easier ways to see this new like th- with this new like Britbox and st- and like how they're doing the Blu-rays, it- it's nice that they're actually caring enough to bring out easier ways to watch classic because it was a nightmare trying to watch it, and it now gives new fans a chance to watch it and not just be like, oh my god, my favorite doctor is David Tennant, Ten Rose, like, and at like um Christopher Eccleston was the first doctor, like no, please don't, like I've seen people do that. <laughs> And just completely disrespect the classic, and it's and it's like, yeah, Brit Britbox has made it a whole lot easier. Um, there was there was a version of, of um, our episode one where I think we just go off talking about how Britbox is amazing because if it without you know there's there's all these new ways to watch classics. There is there's now Britbox. There are the Blu-ray uh, box set collections which I've. I have bought most of them, but they haven't yet gone and done a, you know, a first or a second doctor box set because it's, it's harder to put those together. You know, there's missing episodes. What do you do? Do you have the telesnaps? Do you have the animated reconstructions that have been there? You know, how do you, you know, show a season as a whole? There's, there's a lot in there. It was, it was a tiring thing back when they started. They were, they were filming all year. It was, you know, it's the reason why the first Doctor regenerates because he is wearing a bit thin, to, to quote William Hartnell, that it was as as you get a, a much better insight. And it's why I'm thankful that um, an adventure in space and time was created for the 50th anniversary special. Um, and, you know, Mark Gatiss, who is a big Doctor Who fan, got to make that project. I remember there was a a lockdown watch along for it and we will be mentioning the lockdown watch alongs as we go on as as we record we are gearing up for the final one and that even though you will be hearing this episode after that has aired i just want to say thank you emily cook and everyone who has been involved in those watch alongs yeah, a big thanks to like the cast and the writers for just taking the time to do little like 
some some of them have points to do with the st- like the story that we're watching, and some of them are literally just like. So we had the diary of Amelia Pond, and that was just amazing. Just all these little things that they've managed to do for us during this time. It's, it's amazing. The yeah, the the extras are brilliant, and the you know the animation of them, and the you know the fact that all of these people were coming back free. You know, I to show you when we're recording this uh yesterday we had the um new earth gridlock um watch along which was followed on youtube with um novice hames final secret and yes i do hate you rcd for giving us a cliffhanger but you did reply to some of my tweets on twitter so i forgive (laughs) you but we got david tennant for free coming back and voicing the doctor you know it it's something that I've heard in Big Finish now that he's doing that, but I didn't expect someone of his caliber to come back and do that. And when Mark Gatiss was tweeting along for an, an adventure in space and time, he showed that he'd been working on this as a concept for years and years before that. Yes, and also um, Journey's End two-parter we watched. We had so many people there. <sighs> And we also, um, for Liz Sladen, we got Farewell Sarah Jane, which in itself... I, I mean, even thinking about that, again, is making me emotional. That was, as as I mentioned in our previous episode, Sarah Jane Adventures is the reason I'm a Doctor Who fan. And it was just such a fitting tribute. And it's amazing to see all of these creative people being brilliant and creative during yeah. this time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, it's things like that, you know, things like rewatching An Unearthly Child in a different context, like now. And, you know, we have an adventure in space and time, which gives us an insight into making that story specifically. There's a, there's a lot at the beginning of the documentary, sort of not documentary, but I, I don't know how they officially classify um, Adventure in Space and Time, but we get to see everything around the making of that story, you know, and how William Hartnell is so crucial to that story that the Doctor, whether or not you like him this much or that much, he he is crucial. It is, it is his performance. And, you know, so the the same way that people say that if Patrick Troughton hasn't hadn't succeeded, the show wouldn't have gone on. It is it's always about the Doctor's yes. performance. The show became as popular as it did, yes, for the Daleks, which came after An Unearthly Child, but also the Doctor. It, you know, the show's called Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the 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 Doctor is always the most important character, and even if in universe he tries not to be. When you're watching it, I, I think that sometimes the failing of the program, you know, in more recent years has been the companion is our entry point. When a writer tries to make the companion too important, I think there becomes a failing in the story yes. itself. It's, it's also because, like, it's called Doctor Who, not Companion Who. And without the Doctor, there wouldn't be companions. So there is a balance of, like, we we like to see some of the companions especially if they've been around for more than one season you you kind of do need story arcs for them however it should not be a thing where you open with a companion 
next episode mostly companion focused which is why i enjoyed how like in an in an unearthly child you got the first 12 minutes with the companions and then the doctor came and then for the rest of the episode the doctor was there and giving a lot of his yeah it... amazing attitude <laughs> episode episode one turns into the doctor versus ian and barbara you know there, there's 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 some great back and forth there and and you really get a sense of his tone and and obviously we as we've said he does slightly change but you he's the first one who really like shows his intelligence above anything yes you see intelligence from ian as well in that story but there's a lot there from the doctor in terms of allow like thinking up ideas for them to escape and even though he doesn't come up with the final solution of of the uh burning the skulls faking their own deaths there's a lot in that story yes they may get recaptured and such afterwards but it's his brains that gets them that first yes. escape and it's like our first glimpse into the knowledge of a time lord and how their brain works they have such most of the time actually <laughs> not pointing fingers at some doctors who have had stupid mistakes but um, <laughs> you know t- the doctor has the brain to come up with these amazing solutions and ways to get us out of these sick things yes yeah as every every doctor as every every person whether you are human or gallifreyan everyone has the uh, ability to make the occasional mistake but I think the the important thing is that the you, they the the companions end up putting faith in this doctor who they barely know, and that's not just present in um, an unearthly child. That's present throughout the show's history. You know, I'm going to pick again from the episode I saw yesterday. Gridlock. Martha has only just met the doctor. This is this is her third story with the doctor, and at the end of the episode, she is she shows blind faith that the doctor will come through, and you know, I think that is a thing which has been present for the fifty plus years of the show's history. That the companions are always able to put their faith and trust in the doctor. Yes, which is really sweet because it's it's like you're trusting an alien who you've just met. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Exactly, and even even here, where for a lot of the episode, the Doctor is not very likable, and yet you still get a sense of of his wisdom and his intelligence, and a sense of knowing. I don't like this man, but I know that I have to put my faith in him because he will think of a way to get us out of this. And if we can, you know, as we as we move towards the end of our episode, uh, let's just go into a couple of final thoughts on William Hartnell and the First Doctor themselves. If if you have anything more I to add, do, actually, so um, something I want to touch on is Hartnell's Doctor overall and his personality. He is one of the um more stricter doctors we've had however i personally think he's like he's he, he's like 
uh, a cross between a wizard and Father Christmas. Mean, <laughs> nice, gets things done. Uh, but also, like, we see him be more patronizing to the the feet, like the human companions, in most occasions. But but it's nice as we go on with his journey, we see him grow closer to them. And I think that's something that Hartnell's Doctor means to me. He he's a Doctor who shows growth and shows yes, you may be a bad person at the start, but you can change and your personality doesn't have to be what it was when he, when you start. I I couldn't possibly agree more that the blueprint for the Doctor is is William Hartnell. It is that growth. Yes, some Doctors start off kinder than him, but he shows growth through his era. He he shows growth through his connection to to his his companions. You know, there is the famous line where he leaves Susan on Earth. He he knows that her place is no longer with him and he lets her go that that the 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 speech that he gives the the and one day i shall come back yes i shall come back is for me is so representative of 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 how the doctor has grown at that point in time and you know the it, it really comes back to I, the show would not exist if it wasn't for William Hartnell's yeah. performance. Also, I just quickly want to add on to the Susan thing. In the first episode, you see him not caring if she goes with the humans. He, exactly. He he gives her the option. Yeah, you can I go with I them. You can leave the TARDIS. I don't, I don't mind. And 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 he gets that arc when he he not he now he cares. He goes to care more for Susan and knows when it is her yeah, time to leave. And he's a much nicer person about it and shows care and compassion. It it really is testament. And I would just I'd just say to people, if you do have access to this episode, if you have access to Britbox or to the DVDs of this episode, especially episode one. Yeah. You should watch it. It it's it's a such an important episode in the history of I the mean, show. Even if you're more of a fan of New Who, as a lot of people are, because obviously resources for watching Classic Who were very limited for a while. You should still go and try and watch the first episode because you need to know where it started from. You need to know why the doctor acts the way he does sometimes or she does. Like it all started with Hartnell and his character progression as the Doctor. One hundred percent. And thank you, everyone who has uh, listened. Next week we are going to be time hopping a bit, and we are we have done our classic Who beginnings. Now we are going to move on to our modern Who be- beginnings. And next week is going to be a discussion of an episode which we mentioned already in this one, Rose. It's going to be the ninth Doctor, Rose, Tyler. It's yes. it's going to be a Especially, good one. Uh, mannequins.
mannequins. What on? I cannot wait for that episode. Neither can I. Thank you again, listeners, for joining us. And until next week, this is the Subwave Network. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Want to find out more about the podcast? You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Subwave Network. Follow us on Twitter at Subwave underscore podcast or on Instagram at Subwave Network.